Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. In today's episode, I talk to the founder of creative digital marketing agency, 303, Mr. Ollie Fawcett. I tell you what, I really enjoyed this one. I only met Ollie via this podcast this morning and I really liked the way he thinks. I really like the way he goes about business. I really like the way he talks. And I think actually there's a lot of takeaways for you if you run a business, starting to think about a business or even just growing a platform, growing an audience. I think you'll take away quite a few little tidbits from this. If this is the first time you're here, I wish you a very warm welcome. I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, make sure to let me know via your favorite social media platform at 10 Interview everywhere you may look. And most importantly, don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this. I'm also going to take this opportunity to put out there that if you do enjoy this podcast, uh, apparently it's really important for reviews to be left on platforms. So if it's, whether it's Apple, Spotify, wherever it is, and you do enjoy it, you do get some benefit from it. It'd mean the world to me if you went and uh, left a little review and uh, star rating on that platform. It would also mean the world to me, and I know I'm asking a lot here, so I do appreciate it. If um, you share this episode far and wide, there's probably at least one person you're going to think of when listening to it who would also benefit from hearing it. So make sure to let them know. Anyway, enough of me putting out request after request and rambling away. Now, onto the podcast. Ollie, good morning. Welcome to 10Q Interview. It's uh, nice to have you on this morning. Good morning, mate. How are you doing on this fine Monday morning? I'm good. I am good. Yeah, it's Monday. <laughs> it's <just laughs> funny old days sort of blend into the same already. But yes, Indeed. it is Monday. Um, I guess you're a busy guy, so let's crack straight on with question number one. You meet a sure. stranger and they ask you what you do. What is it you're most likely to say to them? I'm probably most likely to say that I'm the founder of businesses um, and the founder of a business. I wouldn't say I'm an entrepreneur because I think that word has slightly negative connotations in 2023, um, personally. Yeah, I think, I don't know, I think that everyone's an entrepreneur at the moment. And I think that (laughs) that phrase has kind of got a few things associated with it, which I just don't think are necessarily the best but there we are that's just my opinion but yeah I'd say I'm a business founder um I've, I run a creative digital marketing agency um so yeah I would probably I would probably lead with that I've done that all of my professional working life so it's kind of all I've got I don't even have a CV so yeah that's what I lead with it's an interesting point about CVs I think yeah CVs are dead I don't well, they yeah should, they should be yeah I mean I, I completely agree like at 303 we we obviously have a, a pretty open hiring policy and we, we've hired many people and continue to hire and I don't even really look at CVs in the first conversation obviously you've got to get your foot through the door right and especially yep. in a creative agency there's there's ways of doing that um, but I think they'll die out I think people can especially with socials and things platforms like LinkedIn yeah I think having a strong LinkedIn profile, profile where you're posting content rather than spending time on an A4 piece of paper I think is is where I would spend my time but again I've never had a real job so I can't really claim I know what it's like um, because I just don't know. You mentioned before we we came on air that you're quite young. Yeah. And obviously so you've got your own company. How old yes. are you again? I'm 26. Okay and, and how long have you had 303 for? So I started 303 when I was 17. So I started at college. I basically was, it kind of, it started as a bit of a turning point, I guess, where I was stuck in a room on my own, while everyone else was applying to go to universities. And I decided that 
I needed to think of something to do. So I, I started at what then was a sort of production agency. Um, okay. And we started creating content. We put on theater shows. We made short films. And then it evolved and evolved over the last nine years into what it is today, which is a creative digital marketing agency. So it's evolved as I've grown and I've used, you know, nine years as a long period of time. I think some people would say it's taken me this, that long to get this far, but the journey has been about my, me growing with the business and my yeah. development through that. So yeah, I've had it for nine years. It turns 10 this year, which is a weird sensation if I'm honest. Um, but at school and, and at college, I thought if I can do this and make as many mistakes by the time I'm 30, I'm still young as hell and, and I can do something else if it doesn't work out. So that was the plan, still on that plan. And yeah, I'll see where I get to. I think any business in this day and age that gets to 10 years old is, is pretty impressive. Thank you very much. Yeah, it feels uh, it feels like a weird long journey, but there is some some amazing moments and obviously some very some very low moments. But that is that is what building businesses are about. Yeah, it is, mate. It is. So, what what does it look like now compared to nine years ago? Yeah, so we're I guess what it looks what it looked like nine years ago was very focused around creative, and obviously we started around the time where things like Twitter and other platforms are really growing, um, yeah. and we were working a lot more within the creative side. And as we've grown, we've really diversified into being what we call a, a true full service creative agency, right. which basically means half our business, half our team are digital natives. So they're paid media managers, they're organic specialists, they're email marketers, they're client services people. And then the other side of our business are photographers, videographers, um, editors, motion graphics people, but everyone's in house. So we, we don't use freelancers. We don't use contractors. We believe in creating the best team we can to service the premium brands that we tend to work for. So that's really evolved and, and you know, team of around 23, 24 at the moment, um, which is obviously massively grown from me starting in my bedroom. Yeah. And obviously we've had people come and go and, and been along that journey. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm super proud of where it's got to. Um, we recently acquired, an, acquired another agency as well, Rally Media this year, which is an automotive content agency. So we're building that now within, within our agency. We have another agency, which is adding more problems and more, <laughs> more things to go wrong, but that's what it's all about. So yeah, it's, it's really evolved. And, and like I say, I think, and to your point, I think anyone that's able to build a business and, and do that and even achieve 10 employees, I think is a massive achievement in my eyes. So yeah, I'm, I'm super proud of where we got to. And, and obviously there's, there's a long way to go still. You should be proud, mate. 20, 23, I know you can't measure things on employee numbers, but the fact that you can payroll 23, 24 is, you know, is really quite impressive. Thanks very much. What sort of clients are you working with? We tend to work with um, premium brands. That's kind of our main sector. Um, we do a lot of work okay. with D2C. Um, we tend not to do too much in the B2B space just not really what we what we enjoy the work with doing and, and really what we're set up for, but mainly premium brands. So on that kind of premium or luxury end, in terms of industry, we really don't um, lock down on just one. We work across fashion or fitness or food, um, wellness. We have done a lot in certain industries, but yeah, we, we, we tend to work with a few startups, um, a few SMEs, and then a few household names as well. So over the nine years, we've, we've kind of worked in in a lot of spaces, um, which has been brilliant to understand. But I think that yeah. SME level for us is is super exciting. You know, brands that have got obviously something to work with, have got an identity in place and they're looking for that scalability and that growth. That's what really we really enjoy. Equally, those startup businesses are often fantastic and give us an opportunity to get in there early and, and put our, our stamp on things um, and be a part of that process. But for us, and, and especially for me, it's just about journey, um, you know, being with I think our longest standing client we started with in 2018 and we're still with them. So that's so sort of four or five years, only 2017. So yeah, sort of five, six years now. Yeah. 
and being a part of that journey is just it's just brilliant and like seeing the growth and being part of that especially for the satisfaction of the team you know that job satisfaction i think is is great so um yeah it's it's where we find ourselves today had you well, i mean you started it when you were 17 had you always wanted to work for yourself no but i also just didn't think i could work for anyone else um <laughs> is, is probably the truth of it um i didn't have the best of times i think in school and um, you know, I had various diagnoses of like ADHD and dyslexia and that kind of thing through throughout my teens. And I, I knew very early on, the one thing I did know is I didn't, I didn't believe in university. Um, yeah. The year above me was that year with the kind of the change of price and the riots in London and that, and that mayhem. Um, yeah. So seeing that, I just, I just didn't understand why I would go to university. I didn't see the opportunity, and that that kind of shut that door for me. And I wasn't in a place where I was like, "Oh, I just want to work for myself." I was like, "What other doors can I open?" Um, and that was the first door that I figured out I could open, and and kind of ran through it, I guess. So yeah, not knowing I wasn't going there, I think was I'm super happy I didn't do that, and even today I'm glad I didn't. But yeah, I kind of I thought working for myself and and doing something and being kind of in control of your own destiny is obviously one of the greatest privileges you can get um, of of that control. We all we all look for it and want it. So luckily, I was able to find it, and yeah, got to me where I am. Has, has your age ever been an issue? Yes. <laughs> has it? Yeah, loads. I mean, I remember. I mean, it, it has, but it's also been one of those things where I haven't exactly like tried to hide it. You know, I've never. I've never walked around in, you know, a shirt and trousers around the office or meeting with clients. Like I remember when I first started, I'd walk around in like, you know, trainers and a hoodie and, and just wear what I wanted to wear, like a reflection of myself as often as often we are. Um, yeah. I was never trying to be older. I guess every time I would meet or interact with someone in, in the early doors is one thing I had in my head is I have to show how enthusiastic I am about what I'm trying to build. And that yeah. enthusiasm often comes across as, you know, confidence or whatever it might be. So I've definitely been in in conversations and in meetings where like I'm signing a client and the conversation comes up and they go, oh, you're in your 30s. And I'm like, at the time I was like 23 and I'm like, no. <laughs> so I've had that before, but I think it's mainly getting getting the foot in the door. I know that sometimes it's the experience thing, right? They're like, how can you have so much experience at 26? And then I tell them yeah. I've been doing it for almost 10 years and they're like, oh, actually, I've been doing this job, but I'm currently trying to get you to work for me and my brand. And I've been doing it for three. So like it's, it's showing the experience other supposed to showing the age, mm. I think is, I think is the way around it, but yeah, it definitely does, but it has its advantages, right? Like the work I do is, is, is a young person's game in connotation marks, like, you know, influencers or brand owners or whatever, everyone's young in this space. So it's really evolved. When I first started, it was different and yeah, there was more negativity around it, but yeah, in terms of all the hurdles in the way, that definitely wasn't the biggest, but it was, it was definitely still there. Well, there's a phrase you used earlier, I can't remember if it was before we started recording or not, about being a digital native. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm, a li- I'm quite a bit older than you, and I guess that in real terms, you grew up with this sort of social media landscape, right? The YouTubes mm. and, and, and whatever. Yeah, yeah. So actually, on a timeline, you probably know more about it than I do even though yeah older, right so that shouldn't really yeah, be an sure. issue i guess is what i'm trying to say no definitely and i think also like i i i went out in my i had instagram i think in 2011 i remember someone sent it to me because i was in photography as a passion mm. and creative and that's what i trained myself to do in the early stages of our business so i remember being sent instagram when it was like basically you added the valencia filter to a photo you took on your iphone 3 and uploaded it that's what it was you know so yeah. You know that that I guess that's where I do believe we are digital natives because we are creatives, and that creativity when it comes to social is, especially with where the landscapes are going, 
it's, it's so much about that creative approach and what you can bring to it as opposed to you know the numbers and the data you know, we're obviously a performance agency as much as anyone else is so we do understand that but we believe it's creative led so yeah. uh yeah digital native is is a, a phrase that i would definitely put around us and have you always been creative i think so yeah i think i think um you know when you're younger what, what does it really mean i think creative when i was younger what i identified i think where i thought i was always around that space is is the way of thinking is you know it's problem solving it's working out a solution it's even having an argument with someone if you can be creative as to the way that you approach that in in thinking yeah. outside of the the normal realms i think that shows a good level of creativity it's especially how you know i would hire someone even if they wanted to work in our paid team how they creatively think, how they think differently, how they try and approach things in new and innovative ways. I believe that's creativity. So I thought I always had that at a younger age, but yeah, definitely when it came to that visual creative um, impact, I was super passionate about it. And, and in the early years of the company, I was running around London doing three or four, three or four creative shoots a day and, and trying to uh, trying to build the brand. So yeah, from, from that side, 100%. Um, but I think creativity means so much more to me and I think our team than than just what you visually look at. I agree. And do you know what, as well, is I think for all the negatives that people will throw around about social media, yeah, there's a, there's a real thing in my mind about how you, you are young. When you're young, you are very creative, right? Whether it's mm. coloring in or building Lego or whatever it might be. Yeah. And as you get older, you sort of drift out of that as you go into the real world, in quotation marks. Yeah. You know, you get a job and whatever, whatever. But actually with the advent of sort of your TikToks, your Instagrams, the rest of it, I guess if you've always been creative, you can always stay creative. Mm. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think I think that the like the next generation, you know, the generations that are behind me, almost, I think they they've got so much opportunity around showcasing what they're naturally good at, but also opportunity to learn. You yeah. know, like I think you know when I started my business, YouTube wasn't really a thing to the scale it is now. Like if I started my business now at seventeen, I think that like there is just so much opportunity obviously within reason, of course, but like in order to develop out those skills that are innate within us. Yeah. And I think that's one thing I always, you know, try and talk to with, with people a little bit younger than me is just that if you, if you want to be something, if you want to be creative, if you want to be intelligent, whatever, you have got more opportunity than ever before to go and do that. So immerse yourself and, and find a way. Um, I, I, you, I couldn't agree more. I think YouTube, I'm a massive YouTube fanboy. I love it. I just, yeah. And it just never ceases to surprise me the content that's there mm. I've never heard of. But then when you sort of have a little look at it, they've got a million subscribers. I, I genuinely would say without YouTube, I probably wouldn't have a business in all honesty. I, I don't, really? I just don't, but I just, cause it comes from everything. Like I think, you know, I use the platform in various ways. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I kind of educate I obviously read, um, I, I've been dyslexic, I, I can't read basically, and I can't really write. So I like to visually and, and listen to things. Yeah. Um, and I just think with YouTube, like the way that platform, what it will do next and where it will evolve now is, is just very exciting. But I just think now, if it's motivation, if it's understanding, if it's trying to figure something out, whatever it is, that, that platform has it. And I think, you know, we're all looking for, well, when I say we all people look for quick answers and solutions on youtube they want to look mm -hmm. for the get rich quick they want to look to how do you get motivated whatever actually if you just make youtube a habit in that way you know the way you engage with it and what you actually find on that platform i think it's incredibly powerful um i think there is a lot of bullshit on it for sure but i think there's also a lot of incredible incredible content that really helps a lot of people and it's definitely helped me 
it's not even just about helping, which I, I do agree with you. It does. But it's just even from an entertainment perspective, right? It's oh, like, yeah. I would quite happily get rid of my Virgin TV box tomorrow yeah. and not watch BBC ITV ever again because yeah. anything that I have a slight interest in, there is someone putting out hours and hours and hours of content on it. 100%. And, and it's not like, not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's not like 10 years ago when it's someone in their bedroom talking about whatever yeah the this evolution is like, this is, is like mad, yeah. this is like cinematic quality yeah it's incredible right i oh, know 100 percent. i think you know these streaming platforms i think netflix is the one that i always worry about with youtube i think netflix versus youtube is an interesting comparison in in so many ways because there are creators that are putting out two hour long pieces of content like the sidemen for example mm-hmm. you know probably the biggest group in the uk they put out a two hour long piece of content every single sunday and netflix is doing that every every what month for some for some yeah, kind yeah. of like categories and stuff like the comparison is just a bit like it's crazy like to think well, they can't about, keep up can they they can't i mean i like all i would say is that i think that netflix are intelligent i think they know there is a game plan there i think it's easy to look at falling share prices and lost revenue in some ways because if you look at it that way that was youtube when google bought it you know yeah. i think google bought youtube for like 1.3 bill and they now make that every three weeks or something crazy. There's a mad statistic around that. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's something, and which is which is brilliant. But that was in 2008. You know, we're we're what 12 years over, whatever that math is. Can't do math either. Um, but I, I just think that Netflix has an evolution to it. I think there's a way of interactivity through it. There's a, there's a new series out at the moment called Kaleidoscope, which is super interactive, which is doing something different and not just worrying about how much content's put out. It, but yeah. it's the the metric that I care about in in my world, and I think that others in every world of like YouTube, or whatever it's retention, retention rates. And, and that number, that is the number that we now obsess with because that leads to growth more than ever before. And I think that's the number, that's the metric, sorry, that YouTube will be looking at that Netflix will be looking at in so many ways of like, how can we increase our retention? And if it decreases, is it really because of our platforms? Is it because of us? So yeah, man, there's, I could talk about this stuff for days, but there is... How, a, how, how do you... You said about retention then. I'm just curious how what you meant by retention. Do you mean people view times or do you mean people coming back? Everything. Everything everything about retention. Everything that makes, you know... If you think about it in an e-commerce perspective, it's how often a customer comes back and purchases from you. It's yeah. exactly that same... And, and how much they spend with you and what they're buying. It's exactly the same kind of thought process when it comes to these platforms. You know, if you're a... If you are YouTube, you are looking at how long people are watching the content for, because that's how many yeah. ads you can serve into it. How many times they're coming back and watching that one creator? Why are they not watching that one creator one month? You know, creators look at retention so much. And you and Netflix, are they looking at how long people are scrolling through that whole page to try and find something they want to watch? Because I believe from like a platform perspective, that's Netflix's biggest problem is people finding the content they want to watch. Discoverability. Discoverability is the yeah. biggest problem with Netflix. They try to induce that shuffle feature during lockdown. I don't know if you saw it, where you like, like shuffle and it plays you something random. Yeah, but I've the, used it. But the, product, the reason why it doesn't work is because their algorithms aren't strong enough to suggest the right content. Whereas now, and this is why subscribers and followers just don't matter anymore on all social platforms, really, because the discoverability and the strength of the algorithms that YouTube have, for example, are so strong. When you load up your YouTube app, it is serving you content that you are going to watch versus mm. you load up Netflix I mean, I sat with my girlfriend the other night during Christmas. We spent like an hour trying to find something to watch. And by that point, we, <laughs> yeah. we just gave up. We just gave yeah. up. We just thought, what's the point? Like, it's just a waste of time. So that that kind of retention, that discoverability, these sorts of things, it's so, it's across everything. And I think that's where, 
I think YouTube is just genius because I think they have probably the strongest algorithm out of all the platforms, in my opinion. I just think it's it's brilliant, and I think they will start to diversify how they serve content to to users. Yeah, I just I the reason I ask is I, I, my soapbox is all about retention, right? I nice. I find many many marketers will worry too much about acquisition or top of the yeah. funnel, but I feel like retention is it's just interesting to hear you say it because I think it's totally underappreciated in marketing and mm. I think it's huge I think I think the bit the so so I think the way that from a marketing perspective it's thought about is it's the retention of your marketing activity and then the bit which I think is really important but I think the bit that is even more important in that retention conversation is once they're into your product you know like your podcast for example yeah you market it in a way that people come and you put out clips and the retention rate's great there and they're coming back in. But the biggest retention rate, which kind of isn't marketing in a way, is then how they're coming back to listen to the next episode or yep. you know, how, how do they know that you're the place of, of great quality content. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's massive. I think in 23 as well, from a brand perspective, you know, the work that we do, it's incredibly important. We've obviously always thought about it when it comes to, you know, e-commerce and conversion and, and those sorts of things. But yeah, you can you can translate it to Amazon, you can translate it to Netflix, you can translate it to everything. Yeah, I agree. And before we move on to the next question, is there have you got a YouTube channel then that I can put in the show notes for people to come and have a look at? Yeah, you can search my channel, which I started actually this year, which is fun, which is just a lot of shorts content, which is Ollie Fawcett, and then you can head to three oh three dot London, which will have all our all our links and stuff there for, for my agency and, and find that sort of stuff. I've also started TikTok, which is all very exciting. Have you? Yeah, I, to be honest, I I went through when I like 2017 to 2019, I was putting out a lot of content on platforms like Instagram. I kind of fell out of love with the platform, which is a bit silly to try and promote and market your own business. But um, yeah, I kind of fell out of love with creating content. I do a lot on LinkedIn because I enjoy that platform the kind of most at the moment. And then, yeah, I started to do some short form content on things like YouTube Shorts because YouTube Shorts is, I think, the big play for everyone in uh, in 23 for I sure, agree. for growth. Are you posting the same stuff on Shorts as you're putting on TikTok? variations i've kind of I've, okay my, yeah my 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 christmas uh festivities were spent really understanding seo for um tiktok and youtube um it's something we were looking at a lot in q4 last year but um tiktok and youtube have now really started to focus on how seo and search informs the content they serve to people so um like very boring for some i'm sure but great for me and you to chat about but the uh <laughs> the way that tiktok is now working with subtitles and titling and captions and etc etc link the video um overlays yep. whatever it's now feeding into that metadata of tiktok which is really exciting to see and youtube shorts is just basically trying to serve better content to, towards its google search so yeah i've been looking at a lot of that and that's where i've been informing like i'm testing out a lot of stuff at the moment understanding how subtitles influence stuff because i think that's a classic question someone's like i've gone viral on tiktok but i don't know why like i think yeah. that's a conversation i've had with so many people so trying to understand that get a bit nerdy about it has been uh has been how i've spent this christmas which is always fun Indeed. Right. Let's move on then. So if you weren't an agency owner yes, and you could do anything, money was no object, what would it be? So there's one that it would be like dream, which would be F1 driver, but that's just not okay. possible. But there's one that I think would be possible, which would be a chef, which the reason why, and I thought about this because I obviously saw this question a little bit before. I think chefs are very talented. There's, there's a few things I love about that world, which is one, the mayhem that they go through. Like mm-hmm. I'm quite addicted to that chaotic feeling of just sort of like lots of stuff happening. Like that's, I feel very comfortable in that, in that sort of space, which obviously chefs go through every single night. 
but I think like the passion and love that you know chefs at the top of their game have for their like art I I really I, I think that's very admirable and I love that kind of feeling and emotive so I think if I translate how I value my job today you can call it a job to a industry or space I think that's probably where I'd go F1 driver just because you get to drive fast cars and there's a whole lifestyle associated with that and and it's just an amazing world of like technical technical abilities but that's a little bit unrealistic I think chef is probably where I would go if, if everything go, went wrong but like just the just the love of like what you like loving what you do so much I think chefs just love it do you know what I mean like they just I, absolutely I, love I it. don't think you can be a chef unless you love, like I couldn't be a chef I, I, I mean I love MasterChef right and I will watch MasterChef for hours mm. and hours on end which I guess goes against what I was saying earlier about YouTube but <laughs> I love cookery programs mm. like um, Chef's Table I don't know if you've ever seen that on Netflix yeah. you probably quite yeah. like that but I couldn't be a chef like looking at what they do the hours they put in the, the stress like for me I yeah I just think you, you would have to really love that job to do it and I think you would, but I, I, I think like that's where I would probably I would want I would I like I like the chaos of that. Like I said, I think that's like it seems exciting to me, like the fact that like like shit's just going on all the time, but you're still yeah. trying to give it all. I like that attitude towards work. I think obviously I have my opinions around how like my generation values work at the moment, which I think is a little bit backwards. So maybe I'm maybe I'm too old already. But maybe I just that's, maybe that's why you've got a business that's ten years old as well. Maybe maybe exactly. But I just think it's how people value like do what you love to do. And like you just said, I think every chef loves their job. Otherwise they're not there. And I yeah. know a few chefs, I know a few successful chefs. I know chefs that like kind of, you know, top of their game in whatever game that is, but just the love and the passion they have is just like insane. So yeah. that's where I'd probably want to find myself. Can you cook? I can say that I can like pull something together, which is tasty. I wouldn't say like I would put it against, I would enter a competition or whatever it might be, or start a restaurant because I think I know what that would entail. But I think that I can pull something together. But I love the process, the process of cooking, the, the perfectionism of it, the taste, the like trying out things, the making mistakes, the burning the food. Like, I like all that. So I'd say I can cook, but I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't open a restaurant or a pop up tomorrow because I'd probably have quite a few problems in my hands day one. Would we see you a master chef in the, in the near future? I don't know. I think I think it would be a a tall order to ask to, for me to go on MasterChef, but I think that yeah, my my own version on TikTok of failing miserably would probably be do do more views anyway. Oh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> it probably would. Okay, so you'd like to be a F one driver, ideally, but not realistic. Why? Why isn't it realistic? Well, nothing's unrealistic. Starting a business at 17 is unrealistic, and I did that, so I, I can see the point you're trying to make there for sure. But I think um, I think there's something about F1 that like I've I've followed it before it kind of blew up. You know, it's obviously at the height of its game right now, and so many people are into it because of Netflix, which is always an interesting conversation for what we just had. But yeah. I think um, I was interested in it before. I again, I love the perfectionism of it. It's it's such a the, the barriers to entry are so high. And I think that that's where, for me, the barriers to entry and starting a business are so were so low, even 10 years, almost 10 years ago. Yeah. So I think it's all, about, you know, I try and think logically about those things. Being a chef, low barriers to entry, I could start on TikTok tomorrow and probably open up a pop-up in a year's time if I really put everything I had in it, probably. I love that that's the way you think about starting a chef is, like five years ago, if you said, oh, I'm going to become a chef, you'd have gone, right, I'm going to, to catering college or oh, yeah, And no, now you're 100%. like, no, no, no. I'm just no. gonna start a TikTok. All you need is attention. You can start anything if you gain attention on it. That's that's kind of the way I think about stuff. And that I've had a few other businesses that I'm sure I've gone to, and that's how they all kind of flourished and grew. 
F1 driver, I think there's barriers to entry that are outside of um, control. And I think that's what makes it unrealistic. I think there are, you know, if I if I threw everything I had at it now, the the chances are very low. I think. Do you know, that... funnily enough, though, sorry to cut you off there. I had Not a previous guest, and I'm going to kick myself because I can't remember who it was. <laughs> they were telling me about again going back to Netflix or was it Amazon Prime? One of the two. I can't remember. Mm. And they were saying about a program there that was documenting a um, esports driver. You know. Like, oh yeah. Yeah yeah. And that person. Yeah, I he's now an a F2. contract with McLaren yeah. or something. He's an F2, yeah. He's he's now an F2 driver, I think. So he started he started on in sim racing in 2019 and right. then went full of, I can't remember his name, it'll come to me. But it's the same point you were making, right? He's almost is. done the TikTok equivalent. It is, but I so the thing that and I again, I can't remember his name, um, but I think uh it'll come to me in a second. But the problem is I don't think he'll make it to F1. Okay. And that's because of the politics, and that's kind of what I'm trying to say about F1 is that it is so prestigious and it's on such a high level. Like to be an F1 driver, and I think this is where when you see people kind of like attack F1 drivers because they're slower at the back, to just be at the back of the grid is like an amazing achievement in my perspective. So of to course. be a champion is like it's just it's just so far ahead that you can't even think about it. And I think that's when like people look at Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen or even Vettel, right? They go like, oh, he's won this many, that's all right, whatever, you can get an eighth. Like To get your eighth championship for Lewis Hamilton is like the biggest deal in the world, in my perspective. So, I, again, it just comes down to barriers to entry, in my mind. And I think that there, yeah. are, there are a lot there that are financially based, and I think there are a lot there that are, you've got to be, you've got to be in there early. You know, I think that the chances of being an F1, there's 20, 22 seats, right? So, like, yep. there's not that many, no, 20 seats. God, oh, I should yeah. really know that. There's, I'm thinking about Andretti coming in next year. Um, yeah, there's 20 seats. Like the barriers century are, are so high. It's just, you know, where would you want to put your energy? I think I would have had to start when I was about six. Would you give it all up for the F2 circuit? I think I would. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I'd take that back. No, I didn't say that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. To be honest, I wouldn't get like to give up this business that I've been building for such a long time is like it's a, there's a lot of unfortunate emotion attached to it, yeah. um, which often gets in the way of things. But it just it was. I went so far against the grain, you know, my family and stuff massively supported me. And like, I was, I was trying so hard to make it something. And I feel like I've done that, that, you know, often people are like, what's the goal. And often I just say, I've kind of done the initial one. I've now got to think about the others. And that's where, yeah. you know, it means, it means too much to me in, in many ways. Have you ever looked at doing any of the, um, I don't even know what it's called, but a friend of mine used to race caterums. He used to dot around the country at the weekend. Yeah. 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 yeah no, I've, that? I ha I mean, time is obviously always a problem for me running a business. Yeah. <laughs> the the time aspect of where I am in in what I would call a scale up, which is kind of how I would categorize three or three at the moment. I have looked at it. My best friend actually used to race in in like Renaults and stuff, and and was constantly crashing and stuff. But I definitely think in later life it's something I love to explore. But I'm I'm kind of one of those that tries to keep focus. You know, my my chemistry of I guess the way my brain works means that I'm often distracted by all sorts if it's another business or whatever or cycling or cars or whatever it might be I get distracted quite easily and that's where I notice that my my aspirations suffer so mm -hmm. I try and keep that laser focus because being young your brain is you know incredibly active and, and mine's a little bit more active in the in the in the wrong ways of, of it's getting not, distracted Ollie, it's, it's not just when you're young mate I tell you I'm <laughs> the same I, I my word for 2023 is focus because mm. 
exactly that last year I was just getting my attention was just getting pulled all over the place yeah. and as a result I didn't quite get to where I wanted to be on on certain things 100% and it's, but you've yeah, got so you've got to go that. through that you've got like I, I spoke to someone over Christmas and they were talking about oh they don't feel like you know they're worried that they're going to lose focus I think often to learn lessons you have to, like I believe you have to fail a lot no matter like yeah. me and you talking someone might be listening to this podcast right now and they're thinking oh I'm just going to focus in I'm always focusing like you've got to you've got to go off the train tracks to get back on them I find a lot because then you don't have that that inner experience so yeah I think experience is failing is the best thing ever in many ways I agree mate I agree tell me something about you that not many people know it's hard on this one because I feel like a lot of people do know a lot about me well that sounds arrogant but you know what I mean I would say that a lot of people don't yeah, I am. I am a pretty open book. I'd say a lot of people don't know about a couple of other businesses that I've started and, and sold and done various things with. So in the time of having 303, I've had two other businesses. Um, one was in the leather goods space. One was in the car detailing space. Um, the leather goods space didn't work out and was a great experiment and just didn't, you know, lost a few quid and, and that's that. But great learning. Any, any good le- I was going to say any good learnings though? Focus. focus. <laughs> um, yeah, man, focus. I think that was that was really like a like a trying to trying to do too much at the same time as as growing at the time which was a startup but yeah i think to be honest as well like not understanding space not being educated enough not immersing yourself in it is obviously always um always risky but that like both of them to be honest it's it always comes down to and it's why i operate in this space i do is is attention like how much you market any brand is is really dedicated towards like the success i i believe marketing is the most important part of any business anything you do um, that's why when you look at influencers, you go, they have everything and all this money. It's because they're incredible marketers and I building think audiences, aren't they? They're building attention. You know, that's why they yep. can, they can do a boxing match. They can launch a brand. They can, whatever it might be, there's, there's so much around it. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my value. But the other, the other business car detailing company actually sold that last year for, for a small exit, which was really exciting and um, built that pre kind of 2018 was around then. And, and it grew quite a lot in lockdown doing on the, on the sidelines of things so yeah i think people always think that i'm the 303 guy but yeah i've had a few other things and experienced a few other things as well and, and do have some interests in other businesses let's let's say that for now interesting <laughs> interesting i won't poke at that one tell me about one of the most pivotal moments in your life i think starting a business at 17 is probably like i always go back to it and it probably seems quite boring to go back to that already but that decision where I, I really remember, I actually put it on LinkedIn like last week, but like I remember sitting in a classroom for like three hours by myself, completely lost and like not even knowing I was lost, you know? And I like at, at college, I had a level of kind of like, un, like the unknown being like what everyone's talking about this university thing. What am I going to do? Like, you know, it's embarrassing to say, I don't, I had all these, all these stresses, you know, mm. And making that decision to go, do you know what? Like every, every action I believe that you do at any age outside of your your early years is a reflection of something that's happened in those early years. You know, whether it be someone said something to you, like I believe it sits in your brain and that's what drives you forward often. And okay. I'm an incredibly petty person. So if someone tells me I can't do something, I will <laughs> do everything I can to prove them wrong. And that's that's generally what this business is really built on. It's It's people around me saying, you know, you're not, you're not switched on and off you know, I remember starting the business and telling a few people about it and word got out that like, oh, Ollie thinks he's going to go start a business, whatever. And being in like 
classrooms at 18 just before I'm finishing college and people taking the piss and everything like that out of it those same people ask me for jobs a few years later you know so like that gratification that's the pettiness that I do sort of live off yeah which I think is an immaturity personally and I think I'll grow out of that in some ways but I think that yeah the that moment is really reflective for me and knowing that like I'll put everything I can to make make it work and make it work is obviously so subjective but yeah that that was probably the most pivotal moment I think for me because I had nothing and then I built it you know as much as I could and that's had, 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 going back to what you were saying about um when you were younger and the rest of it were you, were you exposed to entrepreneurship anywhere like parents friends relatives? yeah my, you know my parents did their own kind of business and stuff and and they're obviously like I think everyone's parents are there well not everyone but like my parents are my heroes so like I always saw that there was a few people like family network and stuff you know we, we knew we knew and I had met a few people who had had successful businesses and stuff like that but to be honest I kind of at the time because like even back then, and I'll use the word, but like entrepreneurship wasn't cool. Like really, like this is, this is like 2013 where like the Olympics has happened and everyone wanted to be an athlete. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't for, for me, at least at that age, it wasn't like everyone was starting businesses. Whereas now if you go into a college, everyone's starting a business, right? I believe I've been into a few colleges so, and that the seems the case. Time of the side hustle, right? Exactly. Like everyone's like flipping trainers and you know whatever it might be which I love I love that world like I think it's so I think it's exactly what the generation needs I think that it's going to die out because I don't think everyone's everyone is suited to be a business owner and and an entrepreneur I don't think that it's something that everyone can do not to be arrogant about it but I just I don't because not everyone wants to do it you have to want to do it to do it in my opinion but yeah I think just people around me but it wasn't it wasn't really you know oh that person is an entrepreneur I want to be like them you know it was more the case of me going like it's all I could do. It's the only option I saw. Because I was like, you don't need to have anything to do that. And that was the bit that I was like, well, I don't have anything. So I think I have an E in business at A-level. That's it. I don't have anything else. Like, literally nothing. So, like, I just, that that's how, that's how far gone, not far gone, but, like, the place I found myself in, you know? Like, that's where I was. So it was all I had. And, and luckily, it paid off in some ways. Do you remember when you were 17? And I don't know if you thought about it or not, but did you did you have a an idea of where this business was going to go or what you wanted to achieve with it? I want the, initially my goals were massive. I was like, I want to make loads of coin. I want this. I want that. Blah, blah, blah. But actually, even after like the first year or two, I just wanted to enjoy my job. That's kind of all I was looking for. Like I, I wanted to be able to pay myself a wage, have a team. And that was the satisfaction. And that's what I kept it at for a very long period, like four years almost is like, I was just working 18, 20 hour days because I loved that environment. Like I just, right. I didn't even, I wasn't even making loads of money, you know, personally, like it's kind of putting it back into the business or paying people or whatever it might be. I just love the process. And I remember again, going back to YouTube, watching content and a few people talking about, you know, set big goals, big aspirations, whatever. I was kind of like, I just want to enjoy, enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like you, it's that, I think gold medal syndrome is something I'm a little bit afraid of. Do you know what, you know, you know what it is, you know, like I I think that's always been a bit of a fear of mine. So in having my own business, I was like, I want to be able to enjoy it every day. And the moment that I really don't enjoy it, I need to check in with myself and have a bit of a chat and work out if it's working out. And there's obviously had, I've had those moments a lot in nine years, you know, you can't on the outside, everyone thinks running business is glorious and fun. Like it is a very lonely, sad place sometimes and you have to work through that and there isn't always someone you know I was speaking about this with my um with someone close to me not too long ago but like 
being being a business owner at any scale, even if it's like a five man publishing company or like a cafe, you know, being in that position is really hard to relate to when you haven't done it yourself because yeah. there are so many aspects of your thought process. Like, you know, you, you can go through periods of time like driving into work thinking what's going to blow up today? You know, where am I going to find myself today? And and that's a really that's a different level of uh, negativity that often can crush you. And you have to kind of go through it in order to come out the other side, unfortunately. Um, And I've definitely seen that. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff for me to deal with ahead of me. Right. So, yeah, I'm not really sure where I was going with a lot of it, but I've kind of (laughs) gone on a tangent. But basically, it's hard as fuck. And and be careful if you get into it, because it's not easy. Um, And I'm not trying to make it look like I make it easy or make it look like I'm anything special. But persistence has got me this far, like really pushing against a kind of brick wall often is is where I've got to. I've got a couple of follow-up questions. You alluded to it a little bit earlier and you said just a minute ago about the 18 to 20 hours. Mm. What's your view on the sort of, for lack of a better term, hustle culture? Do you mean like working four hours a day and thinking that's enough? Is that what you're thinking? Are you thinking people working themselves? I'm thinking I see a lot of people on LinkedIn or Twitter saying... Hustle culture is dangerous. Hustle culture should be banned yeah. and outlawed. I yeah. have my own views, and I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think they're going to be quite similar to yours from what you've just said, but I'm just curious what you think about it all. I have quite a few different views on it. I guess let me let me try and be concise here so it's it's super clear. I think hustle culture, and that's the idea that like you have to like work yourself to a very negative place, and I think yeah. you know what I mean by that in order to be successful. I don't really think is a thing. I don't think you have to do that. Equally though, I I am worried, but also slightly looking forward to this idea that people think that they can work six hours a day and achieve the same as someone working 12 hours a day. Because for me, I would always put in the hours. I would always put in the time because I believe, and if you look at references and everyone always tries to compare themselves to these things, like um, Usain Bolt, put in hours to be successful he just put in time he banked time as long as possible when he achieved something right that's the way i was kind of compare myself outside the business world anyone in business that i would say is an aspiration has put in the time in order to get there i think for business owners and for growth if i've got a competitor you know let's say there's 303 and 304 which is this imaginary Mm -hmm. competitor i always seem to use which is always easy as three or four, if there's another version of Ollie building that business and he's putting in two hours a day and then chilling out all the time, I'm happy with that personally because I know that I can try and beat him because I'm competitive, yeah. right? I look at it and go, I can beat him because that's what he believes. I believe that he needs to put in more time in order to reach the goal quicker and reach the goal at all, personally, from, from my personal experiences. What I do believe in, in the hustle culture, which I see a lot, is the hustle culture of employees versus the hustle culture of employers. I think there is a need for hustle culture for employers and that hustle culture is realistically, you know, if you want something and you want to do something that is really hard to do, you probably need to hustle quotation marks your way to get that. You know, you've got to put in the time, you've got to find the solutions, you've got to work around all the problems. If you're an employer and you've got a side hustle and whatever it might be, I think that's where there's more problems and it's more problematic personally, because I think that if an employee's got a sideline thing, why not try and do the sideline thing? Cause you clearly love that more. Like I think there's more in that, 
but I've never been an employee, so I struggle to kind of resonate with it as much. But hustle culture is is a weird one. I think, to be honest, a lot of people post about it on LinkedIn, and and I, I totally get why, because it's probably a good engagement rate and stuff. Yeah. But I also think that it's going to be interesting to see the generation develop, and there are so many young people who are like willing to put in hours, which I think is great. But there are also a load who want 100 grand a year from working one hour a day. And I just don't think that's realistic. And I'm kind of want them to think that because then it means that if they try and start an agency, I think I'll beat them. Basically. There, was a, there was a Mike Tyson quote years and years and years ago where he, he used to go running at four in the morning or something. Yeah. And, and someone asked him, like, you know, why, why do you do that? And he said, because I know, he said, my motivation for getting out of bed is because I know whoever I'm fighting on the next week or month or whatever it is, I know they're, they're in bed being, yeah. and he goes, and that gives me strength <laughs> it's just it's just it, like and i think that i think that a lot of people think that it's negative and like i get all that stuff i i just personally i like that thought process like it motivates me and and to be honest i just a lot of with the linkedin things like i i often don't post much about telling what people to think and don't think personally like mm-hmm. obviously try and give people some advice and some content and something that people would get value from but you know, I try and not, even with the whole dyslexic conversation, which obviously I could really chime into, like, I kind of don't really, I don't really care what people think. I think I stopped caring about that when I started business at school. Do you know what I mean? Like I kind of waved out of that. Um, and for me, I think it's about do what you enjoy, do what, do go, go with the route that you think is the right one and make the mistakes yeah. and learn because we're all different and we'll all learn different ways. Um, I'm definitely obviously went against a little bit of a grain and did it a different way to many others. So I have to just stay true to what I know is right and believe myself. I think you're right in what you're saying that a lot of people post on LinkedIn or wherever going for engagement and it's sort of just poking the hornet's nest a little bit, isn't it? And it's, well, we all do it, right? We all, yeah. we all do it because it's attention. Like we said at the beginning, like if I can, if I can get half a million, I think Steve Bartlett is about to hit a million followers on LinkedIn, which is obviously going to be a big, a big moment in his growth. But like, the guy can launch any business he wants and he'll probably, it will probably be somewhat successful. Like he has created the path from nothing to be where he wants to be. Now he's on dragon's den. He's got an amazing podcast. He's done all these things because he's, he's posted clickbaity quotes for five years. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that, that was his strategy and it worked. So like, you know, I, again, even that stuff, I'm like, post what you want to post. I probably won't like it if I don't agree. And I probably will like it. If I want you to love a post back. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of, it works out like that. Indeed. Just going back to your um, starting your business, your pivotal moment, seventeen. Mm. Yeah. I for for someone who's listening to this, who is maybe that sort of age and they're starting something. Yeah. What would could you just share how you got that first client? And the reason the reason I'm asking you to do that is because, and I don't want to keep going on about the age thing because it shouldn't be an issue, but it probably is an issue. Mm-hmm. So it's like someone starting a business at 25 or 30 or whatever would have less of a thing with this. But yeah. for someone starting that business at 17 and going, do you know what? I love what Ollie's done mm. and he's inspired me to go and do my own, whatever it might be. Yeah. But I have this fear that I'm 17 and he's going to care what I have to say or listen to me. Mm-hmm. Can you share how you got that first client? Cause I think it's really quite important. Yeah. So like for the first, like, I, I guess there's, there's, the first client that I think I would say that was like the first moment where they're paying a good amount of money. Cause I think you should work for free when you're starting that young, because you would do anyway and you would do a uni job. So like there's an element of like, do some jobs, get some work, build a portfolio of whatever you're doing, whether it's cleaning a swimming pool or whatever. 
But the, yep. the thing that really drove me to get like proper clients, you know what I mean by proper client, like someone who's actually a client of a business and there's a formal interaction is professional, is treat yep. every day as you're starting from zero. And you need to tell as many people as you can everything about you and imagine that they know nothing about you. Often in marketing yourself and starting your business, you think that people understand what you do and what service you offer or what your product is. But yeah. look at it day to day. One of my biggest advantages for me was speed. I constantly was looking at the granular detail of a daily thing. So if I was, if I look at a Monday morning, I'm like, right, 100 more people are going to know about three or three by five o'clock today. How am I going to do that? How am I going to gain that attention? And that's yeah. how we really scaled and actually really started is thinking that no one knows who we are. Even on the, you know, the Monday, cool, 100 people now know about three or three. Tuesday, treat it as if no one knows about you. Treat it as if you are no one to no one. You know what I mean? No one to anybody, yep. sorry. And that's really the mindset that I think was the most effective in building any business is imagine that you're no one in the, in your space. Because if you have that mindset, the compound effect of gaining attention and pushing yourself and making sure you're making daily impact, you can turn around in 30 days and what, 3,000 people now know about your business and that makes an impact. And I think a lot of the time people go, oh, I'm going to work on a business card. I'm going to work on a website. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing that for? Like, no one cares. Like, go and look at, the, like I said at the beginning of this kind of podcast, there is so much opportunity to, to, to grow on right now. Yeah. Like, it's easier to start a business right now, even in a recession, than it's ever done before, in my opinion, because there is more opportunity. There are more platforms. Like, Organic Social was a service line I was going to drop on my agency three years ago. Generally, we were going to get rid of it. Now it's probably going to be one of our biggest service lines this year. So there is so much you can be doing to gain attention, care about more people knowing about what you do every single day than what your business card looks like. And I think you're going to have success. That's really interesting what you just said about, I mean, solid advice. And just for the record, I am totally guilty of that. I, I forget time and time again that just because I put a post out three months ago saying this was my business, that yeah. someone I'm interacting with on LinkedIn today still knows the same thing. And actually, actually very very valid point and should be reaffirmed i'm just gonna i'm really surprised you said it which is why um i'm gonna pull it this but the organic social thing you said you were gonna drop it and i'm yep. assuming that's because reach was being killed everywhere yeah and then you now just said it's gonna be the one of the biggest yep. what's changed the algorithms the platforms the evolution and audience behavior it's obviously a lot there i think the first thing is audience behavior the way that the way that we as users of these platforms interact with them has massively changed like think about how you used youtube before mm -hmm. covid and how frequently you used it compared to now it's massively different think about how you used instagram in 2019 before uh, covid and versus how you do now you're spending more time on the platform you're watching more content you're more engaged there is more opportunity on organic social for brands to grow right now than there has ever been before there was a period with if you look at it like a graph from 2012 basically there was a sort of stable growth up until about 2017 18 and that started to plateau because the effectiveness of the platforms on how people interact with brands started to die off and then as soon as we hit covid and also tiktok kind of came into the world that is massively spiked up again and the platforms oh. understood Hold on, sorry, just so I'm clear. 
are you saying I thought that people were stopping it because the reach was that they were throttling reach, right? Because they wanted to encourage people to spend on paid promotion. Are you saying that reach is coming back? Yeah, reach is massively coming back. Like for short form video right now and storytelling and, and brand building, reach is massively coming back right now. So re- so reels from Instagram perspective as opposed yeah. to photos. Hundred percent. Yeah. I think I think the photo thing will come will come kind of come back in full circle. It's just but it's about how users use something, right? And yeah. and and for again, twenty twenty twelve to twenty nineteen, that seven year period, we had something that didn't evolve and change, and it was Instagram and Facebook. And that's why people don't use Facebook anymore because it didn't evolve. As mm-hmm. as human beings, we evolved how we use those platforms and how we interacted with them. And that's what the massive shift happened with TikTok and why it blew up is because it was something new. The algorithm was different. It was an interest-based algorithm serving you content that you would really want to engage with. And also what people right. were producing on there was more engaging. So yes, to answer your question, I believe that reach is massively coming back. Um, and there is a massive opportunity for brands to get on top of that. And if you look at why... YouTube slash Google slash Alphabet have spent so much R&D time on YouTube shorts is because they believe that's also the opportunity. I think YouTube yeah. shorts will be one of, one of the big, the big, big, big boys. If you compare it to like TikTok and, and how that feature is, people think of YouTube as like long form content, but I think shorts will massively explode it and it's going to make YouTube the strongest social platform, I think in the next couple of years. Interesting. Yeah. I kind of agree with that actually. That's the prediction. I also think Facebook will turn into LinkedIn. That's another random one. Do you? Yeah, I think Facebook will try and be like how LinkedIn is now. Facebook's a funny one for me because I, I dislike it. Mm-hmm. Like, and you know, it's not cool to like Facebook. But I'll tell you what's really funny, and, and this is across all generations as well. It's not just my, you know, I, I'm 44. I've got a younger sister. I've got younger nieces, nephews, cousins. Mm. It's amazing how many people will badmouth Facebook but still share a link with you from it. like Yeah. I mean, I don't know many people that use it. I think I think they will evolve. I mean, Meta is a clever old business, right? It, they they are forward thinking. They thought of Facebook in the first place. I think a lot of people are like writing them off as like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. Like they, they've started social media, really, like Bebo and MySpace, whatever. Like Facebook was the one, right? They, they've changed the way that we interact with other people across the planet indefinitely right so mm. i think there'll be an evolution i think it will be into like what linkedin has now become which is like text heavy content with imagery and video around it talking about something you really are passionate about which for a lot of people is their work and also finding a way to connect with new people for selfish reasons which is why we use linkedin right like yeah. i could i i message you on linkedin to come on this podcast because i wanted something from you right that's why mm. that's what i did on the platform I think that Facebook is trying to be about family and connection and people, but it's just not engaging enough. And it's why I think Be Real won't work because I don't think that retention and that engagement is really there yet yeah. at the moment. You know, it could evolve. So, yeah, I think I think Facebook is going to massively develop itself. I think it will turn into something like LinkedIn from from what I read and, and how I think it could go. But equally, there is a lot going into there's a lot going into like how Twitter works and, and other things like that. And for obviously meta, they've got, they've got some web three metaverse stuff to think about. So who knows, but um, going back to the first point, I think opportunities for brands on organic is massive, you know, paid has its own problems in 2021 and continued in 2022. So it's, it's still a massive opportunity, but diversifying how you use paid media is really important. Um, but I think organic, the opportunity to get, you know, cast your net wide. That's the way that I always explain it is, 
Right now on Organic, you can put out a lot of content every single day and get millions of people viewing that brand for free, effectively. Yeah. There or thereabouts, unless you use an agency, unless you employ someone in-house. And then the job of that, and that's marketing at its core. And then the job of people coming back in, which will be a small proportion of those people coming back into your brand, that amount is obviously a lot smaller. But the wider the net, the bigger the amount of people coming back in. And that's basically the way to think, I think about organic for brand, is that you shouldn't write it off because I think everyone will be back on it very, very soon. Okay. That's a solid prediction. Right. Tell me. <laughs> Is there a tiny habit, or sorry, is there a tiny habit or practice has had a positive impact on your life or work? It's been get outside. I'm quite a big cyclist. I like sitting on a road bike in very tight fitting clothing and driving around the countryside. <laughs> that is a hobby of mine. Um, I put in a podcast. I actually listened to one of yours on the weekend, which was really good. I can't remember the name of the guy who was on it really badly. But getting outside is is being the biggest life hack for me. Um, obviously, there's a big conversation around like mental health and mental illness and stuff like that. I, I don't yeah. I don't really use many like phrases around it for me personally. I just know I need to look after myself and give myself space and opportunity to breathe. But sitting on a bike for like three hours without staring at a phone and just like breathing in the world around me has been probably the best time I've made the best decisions. I thought of the most creative things. I've listen to myself all that kind of all that stuff that we get told to do by the car map um which i don't really believe in like that sort of stuff is never really work for me going outside and just you know getting that chemical endorphin rush and everything like that is is being the best thing for me and i think that you know exercise outdoors is is being a big unlocker for me but space being by yourself understanding what being by yourself is like i think is is often scary so driving myself to do that has been very good for me yeah, I, I'm I very similar to that, actually. In fact, I was talking to someone about this the other day. Meditation comes up a lot when you mm. ask people about habits and practices. And Do you I meditate? Really got, sorry? Do you meditate? No, I never really got on board with it, but my meditation was always either going on a bike ride or running or swimming. Yeah, same. And it was the same, I got the same sort of results from it, but doing it a different way. Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, I can't sit still to save my life. Like, literally, it's it's an impossibility for me. Even now, I'm swinging on a chair and my legs are getting frantic underneath this desk. But I just can't do it. Like, it just, I, I've, I've tried meditating. I've done therapy myself. I've been through that process. And, and like, I've tried, I've tried a lot of stuff to find out what works for me. And yep. just like you, being outside, feeling like I'm going forward, feeling like I'm learning and educating, that is when I'm at my calmest. And, and probably when I'm able to reset myself and my body the most. But um, that, is a, that, is a, that is a hack for running a chaotic business with fires happening left, right and centre. That has been the best thing for me. Yeah. Is it, do you think it helps not having a screen as well? I think the screen thing is like, I don't know. I, I, I don't really. Yes. Is the, the answer is yes. But I think the whole screen thing is just like, it's a difficult conversation in some ways for me because I think that like I do I do get that conversation of like we need to spend less time in front of our phones but then yeah. I, I don't know like how people quantify it and becoming obsessed with your screen time and that kind of thing I don't know I, I just I get it and I, I definitely would consider it for sure and I do try and not sit in front of a screen and stuff but but you know yeah. what though? it's a big conversation because my wife and I used to have this conversation she goes oh you're always on your phone and when she first used to say it to me, it used to bug me. I was like, so what? Yeah. And then more and more I thought about it. I was like, well, actually, it depends how you use your phone. Like, mm. 
I read a lot on my phone or I, I will try and educate myself with like there's so much interesting content out there these days that is informative or yeah. you know can teach you something or entertain you or whatever and it's kind of weird like so but then my screen time will go up and then it's like well you know you've got to get less screen time so but but why if i'm reading an article about how to yeah, yeah. this or that or whatever like is that a bad thing it comes from internal pressure though doesn't it like i think all the things as human beings we could be doing to be better human beings is looking at our phone the one that we should put our energy to. Mm. I don't know. I think you can't do everything at once. I learned that the hard way many times. You know, no, like, you and I think I think when people are like, care about screen time, get enough sleep, like all these things. Like I use a whoop. I really start to prioritize my sleep. I care about my fitness. I believe that, you know, get one body, look after it, all that kind of stuff. But like, I can't, you can't put so much pressure on yourself to try and do all these things, especially this time of year. Like, it's right sorry not like it's new year everyone's got resolutions whatever i know people have got like 10 resolutions i'm like you're not going to achieve anything because you've done so many comes back to our conversation around focus and i think with screen time i'm just like i get it unfortunately everything we now do as human beings is on a screen the big thing i don't agree with the screen time this is the point i was trying to make earlier sorry that i forgot about is people that work from home that complain about too much screen time but could work from an office that i feel like contradicts itself at 303, we have a slight hybrid setup. People work from home about two days a week. We've invested a shitload of cash and capital and time into our office space because we believe in collaboration and people working together in real in real life. Like yeah. I've always believed that. We don't need to have an office. We could be remote working, but we believe in it as part of our ethos and our business. But like people that are like, oh, I need to stop looking at my phone, but then we'll work from home, like staring at a screen on a Zoom call all the time and not want to interact with people i'm like surely take that step first and figure out how your life works like that in most of your day and then worry about the two hours you spend on the sofa looking at your phone afterwards deal with the eight hours first not two hours do you know what i mean like i just i do it doesn't quite connect with me it does i think there's there's some contradictions there how how are you finding the boop band oh i love it pretty obsessed with it to be honest yeah pretty obsessed with that how long have you had it for had it since the middle of october okay and yeah not an ad but i do love it i think that understanding as much as you can i like it because it doesn't have a screen i like that and i believe in the business i I was going to ask that sorry Uh, did you previously have something else like a garmin or apple watch i had an apple watch yeah so i'm i'm quite big into like actual watches so i buy and kind of collect various slightly overpriced expensive watches in some people's eyes like i'm not interested in being flashy i just really like horology and watches and the art form of that um which is a bit of a nerdy nerdy piece that i like to go into i just think they're cool i don't like them because of how much they cost i like them because of what they are so i've always won a watch and i always used to wear an apple watch on my other arm and i would look a bit silly walking into like rooms and meetings like i've got tags (laughs) all over me and i really wanted i like i I want a business to do this and hopefully whoop's gonna be the first one but i don't think you can because where your pulse is but i wanted one to go my ankle like i just want something on my ankle at all times and then I, I saw Whoop everywhere. Obviously, there's some big profile people that wear it. I looked into it, and I just like the fact that as a business, they believe in health as opposed to functionality and and being a watch. They are about health and better health, and I just aligned with that as what that product is there to do. So I decided that going down that road, I got hold of one. I love the interface and the data. I like trying to understand how. I like the idea that I can track how much sleep I'm getting. I am sleeping better. Um, I like the fact of knowing how hard I can work. So like if I get up in the day and I'm like, I wouldn't, I need to, 
I want to try and push myself today. I can get a good understanding on like where I'm at. Don't right. get me wrong. I don't believe that every single metric that Whoop tells me is correct. Like I don't. Okay. I don't believe that it's a complete 100% science. I just don't think it's possible. It's slightly pessimistic, I know, but I just don't think it is, and I don't think they're claiming to do that. But what it's doing is giving me a better understanding of who I am that day and what I'm about that day that makes me make better informed decisions, and that's what I like the most about it. I've got my two best mates, one as well, and they're both on it. Um, one of them is like really obsessed with it, probably more than me, um, and the other one's kind of like just started on the journey of it. And yeah, okay. I just I just like what it's about. I like the the way that they roll and and what they're trying to do i think that the the founder as well is it's really switched on so i like believing in other founders okay interesting have you tried the uh, aura ring yeah so it was that or an aura ring it was a whoop that was the two i was looking at i wear rings generally anyway um and again i just went i went for a whoop i think because they marketed to me more to okay. be honest i think that i i was sold more on their marketing than i was on the aura ring um and and that's why i went for the whoop um, I also like the, the functionality of like how we can interact with people and like get your friends involved and stuff. Like kind of like that, like cycling mates or tennis mates, or whatever it might be. So, yeah, okay. I, w- I went down a whoop route. Have you got one? Have you? Have you? No, I haven't. I I've I've got a Garmin at the moment, and I kind of I keep thinking about the ring. Or I'm very much like you actually. There's a lot of similarity between me and you. It's quite scary. But I, I like watches <laughs> as well. I've got nice. several watches. But I've also got my Garmin, and I wear my Garmin pretty much every day. Yeah. And I was looking at the Aura Ring. Someone else, previous guest, was talking about the Aura Ring. I was like, oh, I quite like the sound of that. Mm. It is cool. Yeah. I, I I know a couple of people that have got them. I think I know like five people that have got an Aura Ring. All of them, surprisingly, are business owners. I, yeah. I think two or three of them are now on Whoops. They start with the Aura Ring. Because oh, Aura, really? Aura Ring's cheaper. I mean, you is buy the, okay? I can't remember their model, but you buy the product and then... And then you like get a subscription or whatever. But the out of the people that started on Aura, most of them have moved to Whoop, which is oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll give it a go. We'll see. Well, anyway, at the risk of this becoming a promo video for uh, Whoop. <laughs> we'll Send move on. Voice, though, won't mind. Yeah, no, no doubt. I believe everyone has a superpower of some description. What would you say is yours? Speed, I think, would be what I'd say okay. mine is. I think that I always want things done. In my mind, there are two there are two bars in the work we do and just in the work I do day to day. There is the quality bar and there is the quantity bar. And the quantity yep. bar is kind of a reflection of speed. And I've set my quality bar at a place that I think is good. Not the best quality in the world in terms of the work we produce or the way I work or how many emails are out or, or the, you know, whatever what it might be. To- what you're prepared to offset, right? Exactly. So I'm happy with my quality and it fluctuates up and it fluctuates down, but I, I think it's in a place that's good. What I then work on every day is the quantity and the quantity is obviously a reflection of speed. So in the work we do as a business, in in the work that I do in trying to build the business, everything for me is focused around how can we make a mistake as quick as possible and recover it as quick as possible and how can we do as much as we can in 24 hours in order to be on to that next step. Which sounds kind of funny considering it's like a nine-year-old business and that's obviously like slightly anti-speed because it's been a long time. But mm. growing it and, and where I'm focused at now and how I work, I can't run very fast and I can't really cycle on a bike very fast. But in terms of work, I'll be like efficient and quick. And I don't like, I like frictionless, you know, try and keep yeah. everything as simple as possible and just get through it as quickly as we can. 
and make sure you know the caveat to it is that that quality metric is in a place that's satisfactory if that plummets then you slow down do you know what i mean but if you can maintain that in a good place i think that that's where realistically you get you get success especially in competitive you know worlds that we now live in how does that work with the people who work in your company and with you for you it's very very difficult (laughs) um it's not easy i think like there used to be a bit of a saying that like when people join 303 of first two weeks is a bit of like a oh oh wow this is not this is not slow moving this is not you know we're not here to like kind of waste time or anything it's there is a lot of speed to stuff and sometimes that's a negative sometimes it doesn't work for people and it doesn't work for us and they don't work out here or they don't want to work here and i completely understand that like i don't think founders talk enough about like people not wanting to work for their amazing business like i can sell three or three to to almost anyone because i love it so much but you know if people don't want to work here they don't want to work here but they have to understand that we work try and work quite fast and we want things done quickly and that's an advantage and that's a i think a usp to our business is that we're we're fast workers where did uh where did the name 303 come from so i haven't told you this part of the story yet when i was 17 i started a business i called the company i was sat in that room that i told you about yeah and i was drinking a cup of green tea which is a very southwest london thing to drink at the age of at the age of 17 yeah and i was like i'll call it green tea productions that makes sense so i actually i have seen this because i think i watched your video and you say this on your website right yeah so when i started the company on company's house being very dyslexic i spelt it g-r-e-a-n is in green okay. that's how i spell green and then i like i think i used like a family friend who was like an accountant who helped me set it all up and everything it was all fine everything came back and she was like oh she like presented me all these documents i was like is green spelt wrong and she was like, yeah, that's how you send it to me. And I was like, oh. And she was like, I thought you were doing something cool and quirky. I was like, no, I just spelled it wrong. <laughs> so we were called Green Tea Productions for like uh, six, seven years till like 2018, 2019. And then we got to the point where we were in another office before our current space, which was called Office 303. And that's kind of where three, Green Tea was like changing into be a more full service creative agency. The office number was Office 303. It was numbers, so I couldn't ever spell it wrong again. Um, and it sounded like it was something quite interesting and engaging. A lot of people think it's like web page 303, which is a redirect and stuff. So it doesn't have massive meanings, but there's a story of how we got to it. And right. and now it's easy to remember. And again, going back to that marketing thing, everyone remembers you called 303 versus Green Tea Productions. It's just a bit like, do you sell tea or do you sell creative services? Yeah, not only that, but I guess going back to people searching for G-R-E-A-N-T, is uh, tough, yeah, right? Because people are always going to point them in the other direction. Yeah, literally. So yeah, that's how we got to that. Let's go talk about soapboxes. What topics guaranteed to get you on your soapbox? I think we've had a couple on this podcast, to be honest. But I yeah, think probably like, <laughs> building companies is just like the thing for me. I, I just love talking about it with people who are trying to do it. I love talking about people who have been successful, who are struggling with it. Like the the, I think it's an art form, as kind of like slightly egotistical as that sounds. Like, I do think it's an incredibly hard thing to do. And anytime someone wants to start, like, in COVID, like, some of my mates were starting candle brands and that kind of thing. And, like, and some of them were really good and really successful. And, like, I love just talking to them about it and understanding it. So I, I think it would be, like, building building a business or building companies as a really boring, easy answer. That is the thing that I can talk about for hours and hours and hours. I don't think it's a boring answer. I think it's, a, it's because it's what interests you. <laughs> exactly exactly don't worry about anyone else thinks right 
Have you ever had people, you, you mentioned earlier about people saying it wasn't going to work or, you know, mm-hmm. causing you issues. Have you, like, do you still run into that now? Yeah. Yeah, all the time. Not Actually, not all the time. A lot less because there's perceptions that, you know, maybe I'm successful now and maybe I've achieved the goal and, you know, the company turns over X and and has this many employees and, and whatever it might be. So like people will probably look at it as success, but I think you get to a point when you start a business where like you just you start to just not care about almost any of the positives or the negatives. Like, yeah. and it's a really hard thing to, I guess, understand, but also it's a, it's kind of like a curse in, in some ways of like when you met, when you hit an achievement, let's say it's winning a dream client, or let's say it's hitting a certain goal for a client or it's hitting a certain monthly revenue, whatever it might be, you kind of get to the point where it doesn't really mean anything anymore because you you more care about the journey that got you there. Mm-hmm. So that leads you to a place where you don't listen to the positive stuff and you don't really listen to the negative stuff. Like there was a time where, you know, my closest friends around me, you know, like when, when the business really started to be recognized as a success, people will be like, it's so amazing what you're doing. Like you see family, friends, like, you know, great aunts and stuff. And they're like, wow, like this is amazing. And you kind of get to the point where you just, you just don't really want to hear it. I know it sounds really bad, but you're just a bit like, I get it. Thank you. Like, I, I really appreciate you're being supportive, but I just, I don't, I don't want to tell you how good it is again. Like, I don't want to be that guy in the room that's always flexing all the time. So it gets to that point where, gone. I was going to say, is that how you keep balance? I think so. Like, don't get me wrong. I've had a massive ego in, at times, you know, like I've definitely got overconfident in, in my career. Like I've definitely equally, I've been, been a lot more like kind of shy and reserved than maybe I should be to help grow the business. So like there are ebbs and flows all over the place, but I think that balance for me is just almost don't listen to any of it, you know, mm. just stay true to who you are and what you're trying to achieve. Because if someone doesn't like your business, they will tell you they don't like your business or they will say it's going to fail and they will forget about it by the end of the day. But yeah. that will resonate with you forever. So <laughs> I think, and this kind of comes on to, you know, the question of like the best advice that people give you and stuff. But I think for me, a lot of the time, it's just like, don't don't listen to any of it and you will stay really balanced and focused. If you start to lean to the positive side, you become overconfident and that's where stuff can go really wrong. And if you yeah. lean to the point where everyone thinks you're going to fail, you're never going to, you're never going to be able to, it's hard to get out of that. And you're never going to be able to see past that unless you do something about it. So there are, it's this, right. It's that snake effect of like, you can be either way is if you can try and say as centered as possible, I think that it, it really improves your chances. Yeah, I agree. Is that what you was going to be your answer for best piece of advice you've ever heard? So the best piece of advice I've ever heard, actually I heard recently, and it was on LinkedIn from someone I know, but I'm not going to say it is just, just for now. But um, it was don't listen to criticism from those that you wouldn't ask for their advice, which I think is a very easy, nice way to summarize probably what I've just been saying. Yeah. Is that if you're trying to take criticism from people who you generally wouldn't ask them for advice of how to breathe, then what's the point? You know what I mean? So I think that that's a really nice point that I think resonated with me quite nicely because like I said at the beginning, running, starting, building a business is hard. Like I think it's admirable if you build any business and you're the only person in it, like, cause I know how hard that is. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves when we're thinking it's only amazing if you have a hundred employees and you make 200 million a year. Like it's impressive if you make a million, like I think one in one in 10 businesses don't get a past a million quid a year in the UK. 
and then one in a hundred businesses don't get past sorry one in ten businesses don't reach a million pounds in turnover a year and then one in a hundred don't surpass a million a year so the odds are always stacked against us for what we would deem be successful right and that's where i think we have to recognize the ultra successful recognize the unicorns but also recognize what's brilliant in ourselves well let me ask you then what 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 actually you just segued quite nicely onto the next question like a pro like a pro done this before haven't you if we spoke again in 10 years and you considered it had been a successful decade what what would have happened i'd be sat there and be completely satisfied with what satisfied i think that's the thing that i always am trying to run after is satisfaction in myself and feeling fulfilled and it's even the problem i have today is not ever thinking that that's good enough Mm. you know greed often takes over us as humans so much i think and i think in 10 years time at that age and i don't think that anyone should value their life on the age that they are whether they should be married or have kids like i just think that's what bullshit personally but i think in 10 years time 35 mid 30s i'll be at that point i would like to turn around and be like i'm satisfied right now you know i'm i'm happy with where i want to go i've still got motivation to go to keep going but i'm currently satisfied and i think being young and listening to too much noise and the pressures you put on yourselves and the others the pressures that others can put on around you means that you're never satisfied and i think satisfied leads to happiness not to say i'm not a happy person but well, those what, things what, are all what are you what are you unsatisfied with at the moment I think I'm sometimes unsatisfied with going back to what I think my superpower is, is, is speed and, and what I would think is, and what is success. Um, I think that the satisfaction of just, you know, feeling really content is really hard to find because I don't yeah. think many people are. And I think that it's hard to justify what is being content. So that's where I think for me, finding that, I don't, I almost don't know what the problem is because I've got to well, find that's That's why I'm is. asking, right? Because 100%. you just told you just told me that in 10 years you'd be satisfied. Mm. You got to find out what it is. And that's, yeah. and, and that, but that's also where like, you know, when I sat down 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago and said, I want to try and achieve this by the time I'm 30 and you put these landmarks in place. I think that's the point where I want to find what satisfaction means to me yep. and double down on that because I think that's going to make me a better person for myself and the people around me and, and whoever that might be. So that's probably what I think I would say, I would want to be in 10 years. Okay, fair enough. Last question for you then. Yes. So this come, you mentioned his name, so I'm sure you probably realise where I've pinched this concept from. But (laughs) the previous guest wanted to know, what promise do you want to keep to yourself in the next three months and why? What promise do I want to keep to myself in the next three months? I guess it's quite timely with sort of obviously New Year's resolutions and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think consistency is where most people go wrong with New Year's resolutions and stuff. I think mm-hmm. most people drop them and all that kind of stuff. I think being as consistent as I possibly can be with where I'm at today and at the moment in three months, I think I would have achieved quite a lot of what I'm trying to achieve this year. So, yeah, I think focusing and doubling down on being consistent with whatever changes I might be starting the new year with or whatever's going on in the world. I think, um, yeah, being being ultra consistent is probably what I want to try and get to, knowing that I've been consistent as well. Do you think you obviously think consistency is important? I think it is. I think um, you know that phrase of beating the same drum and and driving it forward and thinking, 
I think a couple of things I've mentioned while while being on this podcast, like I think a lot of them do lead from just being very consistent and setting your expectations and you know setting that evil playing field and keep on going as opposed to having yeah. big fluctuations. Big fluctuations don't really lead to success, I think, and whatever success looks like. I think that consistency at a certain level, I think, is is probably probably how you grow. We've got a ping pong well, the table. Big, the big fluctuations just just seem to lead to stress, right? Whether it's yeah, stress up here because it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. it's it's all very stressful, but um, but no, I think uh, I think consistency is very key, not just in running a business, but in kind of all aspects of life. I think they're they're very key parts. Well, that's what your whoop band's telling you, right? Oh yeah. Sometimes, mind you, over Christmas there was a quite a lot of zero recovery days. I'm not going to lie to you, or one percent recovery days. So uh, yeah, <laughs> it was uh, not as consistent as it should be. Oh, there you go. That's the lesson right there. Ollie, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Pleasure. I've really enjoyed getting to know you, hearing your story. If I wanted to point people in your direction to come and check out you or your business, where's the best place for me to direct them to? I think LinkedIn's probably the best one. Um, I'm okay. quite active on there and I will always respond to anyone who DMs me, even if they're trying to sell me something. So um, yeah, I think LinkedIn. Uh, do you? Yeah, I actually do. I actually, I appreciate that the the uh, kind of like the approach sometimes i know often it's bots and stuff because everyone uses them but i try and respond to almost everyone when i can because you just you do just never know and even even you know young people who are trying to find internships and jobs that was that was me in another version once upon a time so yeah i try and give people any chance i can if they want to drop me a message so yeah head over to linkedin it's ollie Fawcett. i'm sure you'll you'll find it and um yeah i'm sure there'll be many clips of this podcast um on there already Yep, I will link down to it in the show notes. Ollie, thank you again. Thanks so much, man. Absolute pleasure. And uh, congrats on the podcast. It's a, it's a mega achievement. Cheers. I appreciate that. That was 10Q Interview with Ollie Fawcett of 303. If you made it to the end, thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure you did since you're still here. Feel free to share any thoughts on any of the social channels at 10Q Interview everywhere you may look. That's all from me for now. Make sure you've hit subscribe wherever you listen to this. And as I mentioned in the intro, any reviews you want to leave. If you got some learnings from this, I'd really appreciate it. Next 10Q interview episode will be live in your feed very, very soon. Take care. Bye.